0: Welcome to the weekly web foot review. We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. The podcast that keeps you fresh with the latest happenings in the world of Oregon Ducks athletics.
1: Oregon remains an extremely powerful national brand. Freddie and Boot, all the guys going back, Aaron, they've all had a big, big part of this.
0: Now, Here's your host. Our guys have done well in our approach, which is win the day. Jordan Schultz. Welcome in to episode 15 of the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and addicted Jordan Schultz is sitting in with you. Lots going on this week. Of course, we've been talking a lot of Oregon Ducks, hearing from a lot of reporters and people that cover their respective teams from around the Pac-12, and we're going to finish that up. With episode 15 of the weekly Webfoot Review, we've got Michelle Gardner talking Arizona State. She is the beat reporter for the Sun Devils, for the Arizona Republican. One of my old buddies from the biz, John Warren from 1240 KEJO Radio in Corvallis. He is the host of the Joe Beaver Show. He's going to be dropping some Beaver's knowledge and wrapping up our entire set of the Oregon Ducks opponents in the Pac-12 that we've been previewing all summer. Also really cool. Got to talk about Justin Herbert making the cover of Sports Illustrated, at least for the West region. What a stud perennial top 10 pick looking to be in the group of top contenders for the Heisman Trophy going into his senior year. Just mad props for Justin Herbert. And I know Marcus Mariota was on that cover as well, but Kind of makes me reminisce back to the days of Jason Fife when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated directly after the departure of Joey Harrington. I think that was like literally the next year, so 2 or 3 So a couple of more people to get to breaking down Oregon Ducks opponents, and we want to start with the Arizona State Sun Devils. Joining us now on the Weekly Webfoot Review to talk Arizona State football, she covers the Sun Devils as a beat reporter for the Arizona Republic. It's Michelle Gardner. Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. How are you?
2: I'm great. How are you?
0: I am very good. Excited for the start of college football. I mean, we're actually technically in week zero now and Hawaii opening up against Arizona. So some conference play happening. I'm pretty excited. Me too. All right, so I want to start off. uh, I think everybody has been wondering about the direction of the program under head coach Herm Edwards, hired last year. I think a lot of people were shocked to see that announced, um, but he seemed to really impress people as the season went along, finishing up 7-6. and So what do you think about the direction that he's taken Arizona State?
2: Well, he's phenomenal. I mean, the man's credentials speak for for himself. Um, Then you look at the fact that they bring on board Marvin Lewis, um, his credentials speak for themselves, too. Yeah. You've got a guy that just went into the Hall of Fame in Kevin Mowai. Um In total, ASU's got three coaches on their staff that have Super Bowl rings. They've got a Hall of Famer. They've got Herm. I mean, it's when you look at the talent and the knowledge that's assembled with that staff, I don't know how any high school recruit is not impressed.
0: Yeah, that's got uh, just so much experience, and then – names that you've been hearing about for so long, I would think that that's a huge draw uh, to get kids to that program. The Sun Devils, speaking of kids coming to that program, obviously have a huge hole to fill with the departure of quarterback Manny Wilkins. I mean, I loved watching him play out of the Pac-12. They've had some time to evaluate guys during spring ball. Now, obviously, fall camp finishing up uh, before naming true freshman Jaden Daniels as their starter. I don't really know much about him, and I don't think a lot of uh, Pac-12 fans do either. So what does Jaden bring to the table, and why did Herm think that he was the guy going forward?
2: Well, I actually know more about Jaden Daniels than most because I covered him in high school before I moved to Arizona. Awesome. So I I actually go way back with Jaden. I saw him as a high school freshman, uh, ironically. So it's kind of fun to now see him. In this role, it's almost like watching your child grow up, so to speak. But yeah. what J- what Jaden D- Daniels does is he's a dual-threat quarterback. He can extend plays. When a play breaks down, he can take off and run with it. He makes quick decisions. He has a quick release. He has good footwork. And even the coaching staff said yesterday that they they haven't even seen that part of Jaden yet. Because when you're in practice and you're running drills – you're not exactly bum rushing the quarterback and you're not doing those things that then make him extend plays and, and, you know, create chaos on the part of the defense. So they say they haven't even seen that because that's not something that you do when you're in practice, but that's what he does is when a play can break down, he can make things happen. And when you look at his numbers in high school, they're pretty much ridiculous. Um, he started 53 games in high school, was the starter as a true freshman on the varsity, ended up throwing for 14,000 yards and rushed for almost 4,000. So that pretty much tells you all you need to know. He threw for 170 touchdowns and he ran for 40, I think.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah, those those are video game stats. Now, really quick question. As a freshman, it's always interesting to see true freshmen in high school, specifically starting on their varsity teams because they they may come in undersized. Jaden's obviously a big kid. Was that uh, the thing that he had to deal with, or was he already physically developed at such a young age, 14, 15?
2: He really wasn't. I mean, and if you look at him now, um, he's not really, he's not muscly and he's not huge. He's 6'3", he's 180, 185. Mm -hmm. They say he's put on a few pounds. So it's not like he's a big, bulky kind of built kind of guy. He's more in the tall, lean mode. And I know that Rob... Uh, Likens, the offensive co- coordinator, said that you know he's not necessarily worried about that because he said that Jared Goff, when Jared was at Cal, and Rob Likens was the quarterback coach at Cal when, when Goff was there, and he said you know Jaden is kind of in that mold as Jared was as far as a body type goes. But he doesn't take a lot of direct hits, and like I said, he can scramble and he knows when to get down, so they're not necessarily worried about him being able to hold up physically.
0: We're talking with Beat Reporter Michelle Gardner on the weekly webfoot review. She covers Arizona State for the Arizona Republic. Another big piece that left. Uh, what about Nikhil Harry? Obviously, one of the best players in the Pac-12 last year, if not college football. So, who is Jaden Daniels going to be throwing to in lieu of Nikhil Harry most of the time?
2: Well, they've actually got a lot of talent in that position. They're not that worried about that position right now. Uh, they've got three returning veterans and Brandon Ayuk. Frank Darby, and Kyle Williams. And I'm looking at Brandon Iok as being kind of the go-to guy. He's a junior college uh, transfer. Kind of really came on at the end of last year. And he's kind of looking like he's going to be that go-to wide receiver. And then just yesterday, because Herm doesn't have enough aces up his sleeve, uh, they landed a junior college prospect from College of the Canyons in California. And he supposedly has four-three speed. And he can burn. So they're, they just literally, he, this, this guy just got in California, uh, got, got to Arizona from California today. So you talk about kind of landing a piece to the puzzle a little bit late. Um, and then ASU also has a couple of freshmen, Ricky Pearsall and Jordan Curley, who have looked really, really solid, um, at least so far in practice.
0: Despite so many guys leaving, it sounds like they have just as many guys coming back. Does that set them up or at least put them in the mix to compete for the Pac-12 South this year? I think that they're one of the top two teams in the Pac-12 South.
2: I don't think people are giving them enough credit. Um, When you look at the publications, I've looked at them all, and most people have them pegged third or fourth. But I think a lot of that is just because of the uncertainty around the quarterback situation. Gotcha. you know, if you look around the Pac-12, almost everybody's got a returning quarterback. So yeah. I think a lot of that was just coming from people that just weren't sure what to make of that quarterback battle. So I think they do. Um, again, you just never know with the true freshman quarterback. And then the other thing is backing up your true freshman starter is a true freshman backup. And I don't know that I've ever heard of a true freshman backed up by a true freshman in a power five conference. So I think that's the only place that the uncertainty is. I kind of like what they've done on defense. They've got some really young players and I know Herm said that they could play as many as 20 freshmen this year. Wow. So they had a very, very strong recruiting class. They like what they've got. Um, And they, and they've shown that they're not afraid to start freshmen. If you go back to last year, there were times that they started, I think, as many as six freshmen on defense last year, which is pretty ridiculous. So that kind of also sends out a signal that, hey, we're not afraid, afraid to play freshmen. And I think that's one reason they got the quarterback talent they did. And then I think that that attracts kids, too, because they say, hey, if I'm good enough, I can play. And then the other thing that does is that lights a fire under your juniors or seniors who maybe have gotten a little complacent and a little too comfortable being a starter. So
0: I think that's a huge reason for the success so far at ASU. I mean, Herm Edwards really showing these guys that he's willing to commit to them, That that's a big deal. And I think that alone is going to bring a lot more recruits in than they were getting before down at Arizona State. Uh, Moving to the defense, their defense was fairly young last season, as you mentioned, 20 or a lot of freshmen starting last year, 20 at times, and uh, actually showing okay statistics-wise, they ranked near the middle of the pack in college football in terms of total defense, so not too bad. Have you seen any improvement, Michelle, on the D uh, during fall camp, or are injuries still limiting them on that side of the ball?
2: Well, the big thing, too, is when you have the number of freshmen playing that they did, and the three that I'm looking at would be uh, Merlin Robertson and Darian Butler at linebacker and Ashari Crosswell at safety because those are the three that pretty much started all year. Uh, There were a couple others that worked their way into the starting lineup later in the year. But uh, Danny Gonzalez, the defensive coordinator, said that when they got to maybe about the Utah game, that they were gassed because they were playing a lot of snaps. So by the time they got to that game, you're talking true freshmen that had already played way more snaps than they're used to playing in a high school season. So he thought that they really did get worn down. And I think, if anything, that showed in the bowl game. He just thought by the end of the year, they got very worn down. So um, their numbers could have been maybe even a little bit better last year. But he thinks just with a year of strength and conditioning under the belt, that that's going to be one big reason for the, you know, for what should be an improved defense.
0: We're talking with Michelle Gardner on the weekly Webfoot Review. She is the beat reporter for the Arizona Republic, covering Arizona State Sun Devils football and basketball. Just a couple more questions before we let you go. Uh, keying in on the Ducks matchup against ASU, obviously. Oregon owning them overall in the past ten years, but that loss in the desert in 2017 is still fresh in a lot of fans' minds. So, in your opinion, what does Oregon need to do to avoid losing on the road when they match up November 23rd?
2: Well, first of all, I wouldn't say Oregon owned them. Oregon barely beat them by two points last year at Oregon, and there was a call there that could have made a little bit of a difference.
0: Ah, okay, I'll if give you that. Guy was in, or guy right. was
2: out. So I wouldn't say they owned them last year. You're right. Okay. You're right. I think one of the big matchups is going to be up front on the line because I know Oregon's got a very good offensive line um, returning starters there and ASU right now. One of the, I don't want to call it weaknesses, but question marks is their defensive line. Um, they've got some new guys last year uh, during the spring, actually ASU was down to like four healthy defensive linemen. They couldn't even scrimmage the way they wanted to uh, in the spring. They had a few guys working their way back, way back from injury. So they, that's why they were limited in the spring. So I think, and then they got some new pieces there. So I think that they're going to be okay, but they're still working in some new pieces. Um, they got a guy named Roe Wilkins, who is a grad transfer from Rice, who's looked really, really good. And they've got a freshman, a red shirt freshman named Mike Matus that's going to be a defensive end. And the coaches have just raved about him. They said, he probably has had the most impressive camp of anybody. So that's a guy that played very little last year, and he's looked really, really good. So uh, then there's another guy, DJ Davidson, who's a sophomore, probably going to be the nose tackle. He broke his ankle last year against USC. So he's one of those guys that didn't play in spring ball either. Uh, So they've got a lot of guys still coming back. Shannon Foreman had back surgery. He's probably going to be one of the other defensive ends. He had back surgery over the summer. He's just now getting into form. So that's where they've got a lot of question marks right now. And granted, the Oregon game is further down the schedule. So we'll see how the ASU defensive line shakes out over the early part of the season leading up to that matchup with Oregon.
0: Yeah, Duck fans need to be prepared. If It sounds like if Arizona State's line gets healthy, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with at that time of the year. Last question. In your opinion, Michelle, who is going to win the Pac-12?
2: Ooh, okay. So I actually do vote in the uh, Pac-12 conference uh, poll, and I actually had Oregon and Utah in the championship game. Okay. And I actually, not because you're Oregon, I will say it, I had totally. Oregon winning, beating Utah in the championship game. So, um, that's kind of the way I have it pegged. Um, but Utah, I like their defense. Um, so we'll see what happens. I, I like Oregon a lot and I actually covered Jalen Red in high school. Oh too, cool. So I know him pretty well. Yeah. And there are a couple other players on the Oregon roster. Uh Sean Dollars, I covered him in high school too. So I know a several of the uh Oregon players and that's not why I picked them to win. But <laughs> I like what they've got coming back and when you've got a veteran quarterback returning that's that good. I think if they can find somebody to actually catch the ball, they could be scary good.
0: Yeah, you don't get a quarterback like that very often in college football. So I I hope that they can take advantage. Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time to come on, drop some Sun Devils knowledge. I really appreciate your time. Anytime. All right, wave at her as she goes. That was Michelle Gardner. She covers Arizona State football for the Arizona Republic. All right, when we come back, we're going to get to some beavers talk. That's right. One of my favorite radio hosts from the Pacific Northwest, John Warren, is going to be joining the podcast to break down Oregon State's season. You're listening to the weekly Webfoot Review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. This is episode 15 of the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and addicted to Jordan Schultz sitting in with you. Been talking to a lot of the smartest people from around the Pac-12 that cover football and getting a lot of great insight. I'm Michelle Gardner joining the show and actually last podcast once again, thanking Michael Lev and Ryan Abraham for dropping Arizona and USC knowledge. But we got to get to the Ducks rivals. That's right, the Oregon State Beavers. Joining us now on the weekly Webfoot review to talk beavers and eventually previewing the Civil War at the end of the season. It's the co-host of the Joe Beaver Show on 1240 KEJO Radio, John Warren. John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to drop some Beavs knowledge. How are you?
1: Good, good. Glad to do it. Always fun to talk football. I can't believe the start of the season is finally here.
0: I know. It's just so exciting. We've been waiting, talking about basically everything you can, from schemes to position battles, and now we're in week zero, getting to watch Arizona kickoff in Hawaii. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it is, and that'll be a 7.30 start time. Uh, for Oregon State, when they play Hawaii in a couple of weeks, it's a 9 p.m. Pacific time kickoff. I think that's an all-time latest kickoff for uh, an Oregon State football game at least in the 20 years I've been down
0: here. Yeah, that's weird. And I was actually just in Hawaii recently, so that three-hour time difference while daylight saving is going, it's definitely odd. And you get sports there a lot earlier, I guess, for us. So yeah, we get a 9 p.m. start. And uh, speaking of which, we'll start with the 9 a.m. question that thankfully the Pac-12 isn't going to do. Were you in favor of that or were you against that?
1: Uh... Wow, that's a great question. I lean more toward being in favor of it only for um, uh, selfish reasons as a, as a broadcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, right.
1: It, we work, you, you, you know this, it, it can be seven days a week. It's certainly six days a week. And, you know, I have a morning show that I do that's not sports-related. And, and then, of course, the Joe Beaver show is Monday through Friday, noon to 2. And that takes a lot of prep work and work to get done. And then you know, covering practices, going to games if it's basketball season. So for me, I'm thinking, oh man, nine o'clock in the morning. Okay, it'd be a five a.m. tailgate show for us locally. That's what we do down here, yeah. <laughs> five a.m. tailgate show. But the game would be over by twelve or one. I'd have the rest of my weekend. Yeah. But it's it's plus and minuses. I kind of lean toward now yeah, that'd be kind of cool. But since they said okay, we're we're, we're not going to. They they put that on the shelf for a year. I'm thinking, well, okay. Nothing lost there. But, yeah, I, I kind of lean for it as to being maybe something that would be kind of neat. I did think about it. In fact, I opined on my morning show this morning about it, th- saying if they were to do that and if they revisit it in the uh, coming years, they, they have to put some kind of a, a, a stipulation that it be early in the season because, you know, at 9 a.m., on a Saturday in November or Ugh. October would be awful. Agreed. But 9 a.m. in September would be, you know, probably, what, 60s in in the morning, and then by, this, by halftime you could be upwards of 75 degrees the first three weeks in September. Outside of that, it would be terrible.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, also, and maybe the other reason, in my opinion, it could be good is the national exposure that all the Pac-12 teams would gain by being just a bit earlier in the day for the East Coast.
1: It would help. It would absolutely help, especially with, of course, the, uh, the whole deal with the Pac-12 network not being on DirecTV. Um, Pac-12 after dark has gotten a pretty good run. Yeah. Uh, mostly because we've had such great games and so you'll notice you know during these late night games on Saturday nights with these great finishes that there's a lot of Twitter response from from personalities and writers and whatnot that you you would you would know from the East Coast that are commenting on it so it it's kind of become a thing we we call it we being us out here on the West, not any one particular yeah. podcaster, but we kind of call it and have dubbed it pac twelve after dark and I've heard that that term invoked from national people on all the different shows you listen to in the daytime. Um, and so that's kind of caught on. But you're right. I think a, an early morning game that would be a noon start would do huge. It would, it would be huge for the conference because if the conference teams, if there isn't a couple of teams in the conference that are in the top 15, then the league just gets excoriated nationally. It's like, what do we have to do to gain in respect? And, you know, George, it would, it's, it's amazing how much it changes from year to year. One year you could have three teams in the top 15. You might have an Oregon, let's say, vying for the Final Four or Washington, and everything's fine. And there's not a lot said about the Pac-12. It doesn't get a lot of credit. Yeah. But it doesn't get any negative. But if you go like we did for a couple of years running of, you know, one bowl win and, you know, just awful, awful results, you, you'd have thought the Pac-12 conference was the whack. I mean, it just gets ripped by the national writers and, the sp- and, and uh, sports broadcasters as if we're just horrible, beyond horrible. And, yeah, yep. it's not good. It's not a good optic with one bowl win. But it's not as bad as they make it sound. And it's like, you know, a year or two ago, we had, you know, USC was winning the national championship or playing for it or Oregon. And it's just the Pac-12 either doesn't get ripped when they're really good, but does get ripped when they're bad. And it's just any, I don't know, the Pac-12 needs to work extra hard, it seems, to get any respect when it comes to, uh, to football because of the SEC.
0: I absolutely agree. We're talking with John Warren, host of The Joe Beaver Show, along with Mike Parker, every day from noon to 2 on 1240 KEJO Radio. So let's get into the Beeves a little bit, John. I wanted to kick off Beeves' conversation uh, with second year head coach Jonathan Smith. Uh, yep. My dad and I, I, my dad's been a longtime Beaver fan. I'm a Duck fan. I don't really know how that happened, but it did. Uh, I was hopeful, though, that Jonathan Smith was going to be the guy. And my dad had been yelling in my ear about it for a year up until it happened. And really bought in when the program decided that that was the direction that they were going to go. I really think he's the voice they need to turn things around after Gary Anderson. So you're there in front of him at fall camp. How has it been going this year? Does he look more comfortable than last year?
1: Oh, yeah. He looks very comfortable. He has a good coaching staff. Um, it's only his second year. I mean, I mean, you, you just used terms like I was hoping. Have you given up? You haven't given up that he can turn it around yet, have you?
0: Personally, I mean, well, personally, the first year for me for every head coach is a wash. Uh, yeah, so, I, yeah, you got to give him at least uh, a full recruiting class, four years, and then I personally think at least another year or two after that. So six yeah, or seven. Yeah, and
1: I, I think you want you want to see improvement by year three. Yeah, and then uh, you want uh, you know some coaches are going to do things really fast, and they're going to set the bar high for all the other coaches. Um, fan bases have unrealistic expectations, whether it's good or bad. It's just off the charts. I get that. Um, as a person who covers the team and then fan as well, I am a fan of Jonathan Smith. He's very, very good, and he surrounded himself with, with some really good people. Uh, they made some, some off-season, I wouldn't say moves. That's more in the pro ranks, but they were able to get <clears throat> some transfers who were here last year, so it wasn't uh, like this off-season when it happened, but Avery Roberts coming over from Nebraska. Addison Gums from Oklahoma. These guys already are making their mark defensively for Oregon State. Now, we haven't played any games yet. I get that. In fact, Oregon State may be improved this year. I, I said this here. They could be, and I believe, are improved dramatically defensively this year, but it might not result in more wins. The over-under in Vegas on wins is 2.5. I mean, you can't argue with that when they've only won a couple of games each year for the last <laughs> two
0: years. It's true.
1: But... Gary Anderson, in my opinion, butchered this program so bad that the climbing out of the hole is an even bigger prospect for, I think, in my opinion, Coach Smith, than uh, a lot of people really believe. And I think he's done a good job. Now, I saw one publication or one story somewhere, I can't, I can't really reference it, uh, give it attribution, or a headline that Oregon State... For the 2019 class, I think it is coming up, or 2020 class, is like eighth in recruiting. I mean, that's a huge jump. Now, there's 12 teams. You've got four teams that are behind you. Yeah. And where Oregon State started from, Jordan, was big dead last. And they, So, to me, yeah, big strides there. And from what I'm seeing in camp, offensively, they're loaded. Um, but what I'm seeing from camp defensively, much improved this year, and I, I really can't wait to see how it plays out on the field.
0: All right, let's move uh, on to the offense, uh, specifically the quarterback position in Jake Luton. Uh, in my opinion, last year it was just a mess at the beginning uh, because, you know, the Beavers, whether it – be the situation or injury kind of forced to between uh, to go back and forth between Jake Luton, Connor Blunt because of those matchups that maybe the coaches saw or injuries yeah. literally one going down right after another, it seemed. Um, and then at, at some points, they even threw Jack Coletto in there, uh, getting some yeah. playing time and short yardage situations. But for me, John, I'm a firm believer in the statement that if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. So is Jake the clear favorite to start this year? And I guess number two to that, does he have the skill set to be a complete quarterback at this level?
1: All right, great questions. And I agree with you 100%, and it's not always a popular thing to say on the Joe Beaver show down here, but I've said it anyway. I I get trouble sometimes for saying things that aren't popular. I agree two quarterbacks is zero quarterback if they're, well, who's it going to be, or you're, you're bringing them in and out. Mike Riley dealt with that for several years over the years uh, back in the, uh, you know, 10s or whatever you call the, the the decade from 2000 to 2010. Uh, but this really isn't that case. Tristan Jabbia, the transfer coming over from Nebraska, was like a four-star recruit coming out of high school. He went to Nebraska and he was recruited by both Mike Riley and by Jonathan Smith when Smith was at Washington. So he knew both of them, liked them. And then when when he decided to transfer from Nebraska to Oregon State, at that time Mike Riley was still at Nebraska. Either that or he had no, he had just left and went or was fired. And then when he He was, and Smith got here. In the very beginning, Mike Riley was hired on as kind of like a consultant slash tight ends coach, and so you could see the draw. Hey, I can go over here and play, uh, get closer uh, to the West Coast, but also play for two guys that I really liked who recruited me. I don't know, honestly, at this point right now, and I'll know by next week, what the plan is for Mike Riley, because Mike came on as a consultant slash tight ends coach. Then he took a job in that AAFL.
0: <laughs> yeah, which we
1: all know only last
0: experimental a couple of weeks. failure, whatever you yeah, want to call and that, it,
1: and it didn't work out. And at that point, when he had taken that job, he kind of he still was on the sidelines last year with Coach Smith, but in in a lesser role than I think he would have been in had he not taken that AAFL job. And there was a big outcry from Beaver Nation They didn't like that Mike Riley was coming back again, and they were very upset, at least from our show, using that as a a measuring stick. And I was trying to talk it down, saying, well, first of all, he did a great job. I love Mike Riley, and I'm a fan. But he's not going to be the head coach. He's just going to be a position coach. And from that leading up to the season, that was in the spring that he was hired before the season even started last fall. It had died down, he took the AAFL job, and he didn't really play much of a role last year at all. Once the season started, there was no conversation about Mike Riley. And I don't know, since he's that AAFL thing is over with, I don't know if he's coming back in the capacity that he was originally hired for. I don't know. I'll find out for next week's Joe Beaver Show. But that being said, Tristan Jevia is a Tremendous quarterback, but in the uh, in the interim, after the season was over, Luton was granted another year of eligibility, a sixth year, and he got it and he took it, and he trimmed down over the winter. He got he trimmed down. He was in great shape, looking good after you know that horrible injury he suffered against Washington State last year, and uh, as he they were saying in spring uh, football, he's looking awful good. He's looking awful good, and then that kind of carried over to fall camp. And so it's a pretty good battle, but I think, and a lot of people think that he's going to get the job. Coach Smith has not come out with his depth chart yet. He was just recently this week, Jordan, named one of the four captains. And it'd be weird to be a senior captain and not be your starter at quarterback. So maybe that was uh, kind of a, a hidden message that he'll be the starting quarterback. I don't know. But if. One guy gets the job over the other, which will happen. The other guy's pretty good. I don't think, though, it will be from the fans. It'll be put in the next guy, but that's always the case with the backup. The backup quarterback's the most popular player on the team. But um, I think the coaches will go full forward with one guy, and in my opinion, it'll be Jake Luton. And he's playing really good football. I think he is a tremendous 6'6", can see over the line, has a, has a rocket arm, knows the system better now than ever before. I think he told me when I was talking to him uh, on media day something about, yeah, this is my second first time I've had two consecutive years with the same offense because of his transferring his community college, his Idaho time, and then Gary Anderson to, uh, to, uh, to Jonathan Smith. His second year out of six years where he's got two years in a row now in the same offense. I think he's going to do great. So to answer your question – uh, I agree with you, two quarterbacks. If it's, uh, who do we go with? I don't think it's a who do we go with. I think it's Jake Luton. He's looked very, very good. Jebbia was going to be the guy if Luton wasn't granted that year of eligibility, and they would have gone full force with him. But once Jake came back, I think that made him think, okay, we've, we've got this guy for another year.
0: All right, John, and last question. Who, in your opinion, is going to win the Pac-12?
1: Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, I think Oregon's going to win the Pac-12 because they're just loaded. And Utah right now is a favorite to win the Pac-12 conference and to win the Pac-12 championship game. But I just I, I just see Oregon doing it. I know Beaver fans are not going to like to hear me say that, but I, you got to be objective on this whole thing, just looking at it and looking at the schedules. So I, I think that's how that will shake down. Utah might be up there, but then Washington I think can be a, a top – three or four team in the conference but um, at this point i would say oregon but that's again who knows if we all knew we'd all be in vegas and we'd all be millionaires
0: uh i know right i wish i would have put um about a thousand bucks in bitcoin 10 years ago <laughs> i'd yeah. be a millionaire as well exactly all right uh, john warren host of the joe beavers show uh, joining us on the weekly web foot review thank you so much for taking the time to come on i really appreciate it
1: no problem jordan thanks man
0: Yeah, really appreciate John Warren dropping by. We'll definitely have him on the podcast as we get closer to the Civil War one more time. All right, that's going to do it for episode 15 of the weekly Webfoot Review. Keep your ears peeled. We've got some more content coming before the Oregon-Auburn opener. That, of course, is this weekend, August 31st, and we're gonna be so excited. I know I'm gonna have, uh, well, probably be three or four beers deep, have a few friends over to watch the game. Just so stoked to see uh, how Oregon gets their season going in an environment where they're gonna be facing a lot of adversity, a lot of expectations that all of us fans have been talking about over and over through this summer. How strong will that offensive line be? Will Justin Herbert live up to the expectations of his senior season? Heisman Trophy candidacy involves in that. An unexpected return to the University of Oregon And I really hope that Oregon can just appreciate the spoils of his hard work and hopefully Mario Cristobal can get going with new defensive coordinator Andy Avalos as well. Just so many storylines to talk about and that will be coming up one more time before we get going on the weekly web foot review for episode 16. So keep your ears out for that in the next couple of days and get excited, Duck fans. We are finally here. College football has arrived. This is episode 15 of the Weekly Webfoot Review. I'm Jordan Schultz, and I'll talk to you soon, college football fans. Go Ducks! To the Weekly Webfoot Review.